The Anchored City podcast is recorded in Anchorage, Alaska, on the traditional lands of the Denina Athabascan people. Warning, this episode discusses violence, and listeners are asked to use their discretion when listening to this episode. City Podcast, where we're connecting with Anchorage's soul through her history, stories, and people. I'm your host, Joel Kiegenfeld. On our last episode, we considered the history of violence in Alaska and in Anchorage. While the issue of violence is deeply rooted in our history and our current reality, we rarely talk about the healing that must take place for victims of violence. Joining me on this episode is my friend Crystal Kompkoff, and she's sharing her journey of healing after being the victim of random violence. Here's our conversation. Oceans, and there are deserts that I have yet to cross. And I have dreamed of faraway places where imagination just gets lost. And I would search the wide world over. So my name is Crystal Kompkoff, and I have uh, worked with youth, positive, positive youth development, as well as workforce development, uh, pretty much my entire adult life. Uh, moved to Ala- back to Alaska after going to uh, Washington State University. I got a general communications degree because I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up um, and just needed to get a degree and figure it out. Um, I was originally born in Cordova, Alaska. My mom was 16 at the time. and My dad was like 20. And uh, so very young parents. And then they had my sister about a year and a half later. Um, When I was about three, they decided to get divorced. And eventually I moved back with my mom or I moved in with my dad and my stepmom and we became a blended family because she had a son that was a year old uh, from her previous marriage. Um, We were a a commercial fishing family. We also started commuting back to the state of Washington where my stepmom was from uh, when I was in kindergarten. And so we did a trial year in Kirkland, Washington, and then they started looking for a house. 
and we ended up in North Bend. Um, and then my freshman year of high school, we moved to Woodby Island, which sounds pretty fancy, but actually is a farming community as well as kind of a bedroom community for um, people that commute to Seattle to work. I did get to spend four summers commercial fishing with my dad and stepmom. We were a family fishing, uh, fishing family for several years. I did it for four summers and then decided that that wasn't really what I wanted to keep doing. Um, I tell everybody that uh, those four summers motivated me to go to college because when you're in a commercial fishing family, you don't get to decide how much you're getting paid. You don't get to decide how many fish to catch because sometimes there's lots of fish to catch and sometimes there's not just kind of depends on the year um and so I was like yeah this 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 taught me that I can do hard work but also taught me that I don't necessarily want to do hard work <laughs> and so that's why I ended up uh, you know trying to do well in high school and eventually going to college um, I moved back to Alaska after college and my first job was to be a receptionist at Chugash Alaska Corporation, which is my regional native corporation, and just kind of see where it took me. And eventually I ended up working as an admissions counselor for Job Corps, took a break from that to go into management at the corporation office, um, and then was asked to apply for the uh, manager of the admissions and job placement office for Job Corps. Uh, was told I was absolutely not guaranteed that I would get the job, but that, you know, they definitely wanted me to apply. And so I did that for over 20 years. It was a great experience. Um, helped me travel all throughout Alaska and see how folks you know, lived in different communities and gain a better understanding of um, what op opportunities or lack of opportunities there were, how expensive it is in rural Alaska, and why um, Job Corps was such a needed program for the youth of our state. Um, they decided to move the admissions office to Palmer to save money. And I was not about to commute out to Palmer. And so I uh, applied and got a job as the youth services manager in the employment and training services department at Cook and the Tribal Council. Did that for three years and then got promoted to senior manager in the employment and training services department. So now I'm trying to become an expert on adult public assistance uh, through our temporary assistance program for needy families and our general assistance program. So that's my long-winded introduction. <laughs> that's great. You, you uh, moved a little bit even into my next question, which was, would you be willing to just tell us a little bit about what was your growing up years like? You told us a little bit, but is mm -hmm. there anything you wanna to add to what it, what, what did it look like to grow up for you? So yeah, we would come back to Cordova every summer uh, and it was, felt kind of like we got to have our feet in the best of both worlds. So like I got to go to Washington and be exposed to um, things that I would not have been exposed to otherwise in Cordova because Cordova is like 
a town of 2,500 people. It grows during the summer because a lot of cannery workers and fisher people come into town. Um, but yeah, I got to also stay tied to my culture because I would come back during the summers and the summers that I wasn't fishing, I spent uh, at my grandparents' house, staying with them. Um, and so, and that was my dad's parents and it was through my dad's side of the family that I'm Alaska native. And so, you know, we got to eat traditional foods, uh, see what it was like to, you know, go berry picking and make jelly and jam and cook salmon and, you know, just lots of things that uh, helped me understand who I was as a person um, through the Alaska native lens of my family. And, um, but also at the same time, get to go down to the state of Washington and see kind of a bigger world out there. Um, North Bend was a rainy community, very similar to Cordova. So lots of big trees, um, small, a small town, you know, I think we would have three to four classrooms for each grade. And um, so got to have a lot of good friends growing up that we always could go outside and play. Um, we like to ride bikes and go play in the woods because there was lots of trees where we lived. Um, and then Whidbey Island was an even smaller community where we were. Um, and so I went from probably a class of, gosh, by the time we got to high school, there was three elementary schools feeding into that. So we probably had a class of four to 500 when we went to, down to a class of 120. So much smaller school, but uh, I was able to take advantage of leadership opportunities in that kind of a small school setting. Um, I was there the last quarter of my freshman year and my typing teacher was also the yearbook advisor. And so she approached me and said, hey, would you consider joining the yearbook um, committee? It's sixth period. You know, I think that you have some really great skills that you could bring to the yearbook. And I ended up being editor of the yearbook for two years. I also was um, the um, student body council treasurer um, and on a bunch of other little clubs that they had in school. And also got to go to Mexico with my Spanish teacher during spring break one year. So um, just, you know, had a lot of really great opportunities that um, I might've felt more lost in a bigger school, um, but, you know, still had, it was, it was still bigger than Cordova, even though it was only a class of 120 and still had a lot more opportunities because I was on uh, the road system and could go do things and, you know, get to go to Mexico with my Spanish teacher, not with my parents and kind of assert some independence that way, but in a very controlled setting. <laughs> so would you be willing to tell us your story of being a victim of random violence? I know that's part of your story, not your whole story. We're getting to hear more of your, your extended story, yeah. but would you be willing to tell us that part of your story? 
Sure. So the interesting thing is today is the day after Thanksgiving, and it was the day after Thanksgiving in 2018. I went to a friend's house. She lived in a townhome off of the Glen Highway and Turpin, and she was having um, a cabbie show, which is like clothing that, you know, Tupperware's version of a clothing Um, so we were trying on clothes, deciding what I was going to buy and they were sitting on the couch and I stood up to go find my cell phone and we heard a popping noise and glass break and looked at each other and went, what was that? And then all of a sudden I just felt burning in my abdomen and I looked down and realized I had been shot and I had two red circles Um, on my hips and, you know, immediately fell to the ground, yelled, I've been shot. They called um, 911. Um, The police, you know, came, they, um, and then eventually the ambulance came. Um, It, I was, at the time my children were Um, I think my oldest was a senior in a junior or senior in high school. And my oldest was, you know, barely out of high school. And I just remember thinking to myself, I'm not done raising my kids and, um, just freaking out, of course, in the ambulance and hoping that I would live to be able to, um, continue to be their mom. Um, we had just, I had just gotten divorced a couple of years beforehand and they were both living with me full time, um, by their choice. Um, and I just felt like, you know, I had so much more that I needed to do for them as a parent. It is, um, it is one of those situations because it was a drive-by shooting. I had to wrap my head around pretty quickly that I would not have that dramatic day in court where I would get to see justice. Um, and sometimes that still bothers me, but I really just try to focus on um, being grateful to be alive um, and trying to stay on top of my health because I still have a lot of, uh, pain associated with the shooting. I have nerve pain in my, um, right thigh and a labral tear in my hip that, you know, eventually I might get surgically fixed, but at this point it's not, um, a big enough tear to risk all of the things, all of the side effects that come with the surgery. Um, So yeah, it's, it, it was one of those things that it took a lot to recover from. I was out of work for seven weeks. Um, Fortunately, um, cooking the tribal council has a donated leave program. And so I was able, and they have short-term disability. So I was able to um, have still be able to pay for all of my expenses. 
Uh, the state of Alaska also has a victim's compensation program for folks that have are victims of violent crime. Um, my just my hospital bill alone was um, $100,000. And uh, not all of it was going to be covered by insurance. So there was, uh, I think between, I think when I figured it out just within a year of being shot, it was going to be like $30,000 that I would have had to pay out of pocket if I didn't have the victim's compensation program. I had a limited bandwidth to be able to focus on my health. And so I focused on my physical health first. And then eventually, like a couple years later, got um, counseling. So for my physical health, it, I spent time doing physical therapy, pain management through um, pain medications as well as um, acupuncture. I still do chiropractic care because it, my hip goes out of alignment. And so every couple of weeks I go in and get an adjustment to try to get it back into alignment. Um, for my mental health, I went and saw somebody who specialized, specializes in EMDR, which is that eye movement um, therapy. And then COVID hit. So I kind of felt like I started and then had to start over. Um, but I feel like that took a lot of, um, it was emotionally hard to do, but I'm grateful that I did it because I feel like I'm uh, able to process the trauma much better than I was before able to before, you know, I was kind of like compartmentalizing and avoiding processing it before I was, before I was doing that. And then if I did start talking about it, it, I just would, you know, struggle with being able to articulate everything that I was thinking and feeling and what I went through at the time. So it was extremely helpful to be able to process all of that trauma through the EMDR. Um, Did that answer the question? <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the question was just to share a little bit about your experience and thank you for doing yeah. that. So it's not easy to, to go back and in some ways relive that and a little bit of how you're, what were you feeling and thinking as you were, as it immediately happened, you talked about this, this feeling of not wanting to leave your children, which I think lots of us would have that thought of like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm ready for that. Um, and then the process of healing. Um, I, I guess the question I would have for you right now is like, where are you still in that process of like you, you kind of talked about focusing on on the physical uh, health first and then moving to sort of the the mental and emotional um as well yeah i still i still feel like i have to keep continuing to process it um one of the ways that i process it is through um hiking and uh prior to being shot, I had started doing the Alaska Climathon. And the first couple of years, I could only do go up the mountain once. And um, that was just so exhausting. And, you know, I just, I also had never trained for it. And so the next summer, 
I decided I was going to train for it and I would hike one to two times a week, you know, at Arctic Valley, um, Kincaid, uh, hilltop skiing area, as well as Alaska. We would just, you know, try to go hiking um, one, once or twice a week to try to get ourselves uh, in shape and ready for it. Cause it's pretty easy to not exercise during the winter in Alaska if you don't like being cold. <laughs> And I'm one of those people that I don't necessarily like being cold. Um, so we spend a lot of time doing that. And so I was able to get up the, reach my goal of getting up the mountain three times. Um, in the Alaska Climbthon, you climb up the mountain and then you take the tram down and you try to go up as many times as you can in 10 hours. Um, and I thought three was a good target um, from, because it, it was more than, definitely more than one. Um, and so, uh, in the summer of 2019, I was like, gosh, it would be great if I could physically get myself back to where I could go up the mountain three times again, knowing full well that I may not be able to, and that it really just depended on how I was doing that day. Um, one of the things I forgot to discuss is in the shooting, they had to, um, during the surgery afterwards, they had to take out every, all but seven inches of my colon, which means I have a condition called short bowel syndrome. Um, lot, there's a wide variety of symptoms that a person can have with short bowel syndrome. I call the version I have um, is like IBS on steroids. So I can have times where I need to go rushing to the bathroom frequently or um, have other issues um, re related to my digestion. And I have to be kind of particular about what I eat um, to try to help manage some of the symptoms. And so um, the time came that I got to go up that mountain and I was able to do it um, three times. And again, so, and it's my goal to do the climbathon um, every year. Um, I didn't, I was unable to do it this year just because of how crazy things were after I took a one month sabbatical at work, but, um, I still try to do hiking at least once, once to twice a week during the summers. Um, and it's kind of my way, I feel like of, you know, mentally saying to the unknown person that shot me, well, you, you at least didn't take that away from me you know, and it gives me kind of a sense of control and um, accomplishment that uh, I felt like I needed to. Um, and, it, and it motivated me to heal and to stay healed, both physically and um, emotionally after being shot. So thinking about your process um since you were shot what would, advice would you maybe give to someone who's healing from violence themselves um was there so, some word of advice that you would pass on to someone else that was going through a similar i know i know that no no situation is exactly the same right but a, but a, a similar situation what would be your advice for somebody that's maybe in a similar situation um i would say definitely definitely seek help for the emotional trauma 
um, because um, even though I put it off, you know, part of me wishes I would have done it sooner. Um, so definitely seek that help and then find something that brings you joy and helps kind of pump up your dopamine levels naturally, um, whether that's a hobby or um, some sort of exercise like hiking. I think that that helps um, helps stay focused on things that are positive in your life. Um, cause you're, you know, you're never the same after something like that happens and, you know, just acknowledging that and then finding ways to, um, compensate, um, so that you have those positive things in your life. Um, I think it are really important. Um, and, and one of the things that um, you and I do is we teach second order change training, which is social emotional learning training to adults that work with youth. And when I always like to tell the people at the end of the training, you know, thank you for doing this. Um, when I was growing up, I was, I had that yearbook teacher. I had, I also did Girl Scouts. I had extended family you know, I had all of these positive adults in my life that I think made me um, mentally strong so that I was able to know that I needed resources, how to access them and have the persistence to follow through to be able to heal myself both physically and mentally. Um, and so I would say to people that have children in their lives to try to be that positive person as well as connect them to other programs that um, help them understand that they, that they can do hard things and, um, ha and identify how to find supports um, in the community so that they, they can uh, persist if something happens to them. Yeah, you're leading me right into the, where I, the next question I wanted to ask you and that um, this, this season with the podcast, we're kind of answering questions of what is possible um, in areas that seem baby overwhelming or places where things are hard. So in violence is one of those places where it often feels like, what can we do? Um, but I, I'm asking you as much as someone who has lived experience as a victim, but also all the years that you've been working in the community, What's possible? What do you see possible in our community in the area of violence? And maybe you've already begun speaking about it when we're talking about, you know, raising children that are resilient. But um, when you think about this area of how do we curb violence or or get out in front of it, what do you see as possible in our community? Yeah, I th I think one of one of the biggest things is you know focusing on our children and making sure that they have the tools that they need to be able to um, manage their emotions and resolve conflicts in ways that are healthy. Um, and just being a positive presence for them, being a role model to them so that then they know that, that you know, what they're struggling with can be um, dealt with effectively. Um, and without violence themselves. 
um, as an Alaska native, I'm certainly not going to be somebody that's like, all guns need to go away. I do think that one of the things that is possible is to keep in mind that gun control does not have to be binary, that it can be something that um, we can use common sense to try to figure out, you know, are there populations of people that just shouldn't have access to guns? Um, and it's not going to be perfect, but um, some gun control is better than no gun control. And also at the same time, making sure that people that do subsistence um, hunting, um, if they can have access to the appropriate guns to be able to do that, um, then that would be um, also ideal as well. So because being able to be connected to your culture and, and your traditional foods is also extremely important in helping people um, with their resilience because then they can also be proud of who they are if they're able to successfully provide for their family and friends. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, this is definitely not a state where abolishing firearms would would get very far. It's just not gonna not gonna work in Alaska. Yeah, but yeah. Common sense. I think common sense. The way you're describing it makes a lot makes a lot of sense. So, I didn't realize I would be talking to you sort of on the anniversary of this event, but uh, <laughs> now, now five years later, um, what's your life like? Looking, you know, now looking back, maybe we've already been talking about this this whole time, but um five years later what stands out for you um uh five years later gosh i still like to go hiking and um try to manage my health through you know being somewhat active i can't do some activities with a, a bad hip and um nerve pain because it just it gets exacerbated after exercising for a while or doing strenuous exercise. Um, I still get to be a positive um, influence um, in youth's lives because I still get to, I have, I oversee the same youth team that I used to directly supervise. Um, I'm also a big sister. So I have a little that I uh, interact with a couple times a month and just try to be a positive role model for her. Um, my kids are now fully grown and doing really well. Um, they both, the oldest one works um, for the uh, Quit Tobacco Program at South Central Foundation. And the youngest one is majoring in kinesiology. He wants to help people, he's thinking about becoming an occupational therapist. Um, and so he's gonna go do some job shadowing soon to see if that's really what he wants to do. Um, so still have still have both of my boys in my life and still get to um, be a, a role model to them um, by showing them, you know, when something tough happens, you figure out how to deal with it and move on. Um, and I still, I still get to help people, you know, in my current job as senior manager, helping people that have had circumstances happen to them, um, being kind of a stopgap for those 
financial needs that they may have um, while they try to get back on their feet, I think is very rewarding work and helps me stay positive, keep in a positive mind frame as well. Um, Cause I get to do something for other people. Well, my final question for you is one that I ask uh, most of our guests. And that is, do you have a self-care or mindfulness or spiritual practice that you do that keeps you centered um, in the, in all the things that you do? Cause I know you're very bu- busy and involved in a lot of things, but mm-hmm. you have, do you have a practice that you do that keeps you centered in the middle of all of that? I really enjoy scrapbooking. Um, I think it keeping memories of, um, some of the fun things that you get to do, um, or the everyday things that you get to do is helps, helps keep me grounded. Um, I also like to travel. And so, uh, at Cook and the Tribal Council, we get, um, month, four weeks sabbatical after we've worked there for five years. So in the month of August, I went to Australia and Bali and, uh, you know, seeing how other countries live, how the people in other countries live is um, interesting. Um, You know, I got to learn about the indigenous culture in Australia and I also got to see um, some of the religious traditions when I was in Bali and do the um, water purification uh, ritual while I was there. It's, it's, I just think it's very interesting to see how other folks, you know, have their connection spiritually or to the earth or, or um, you know, something bigger than themselves. Um, it, it always, I find very interesting to see how other folks do those kinds of things. But yeah, I would say for me, the hiking, scrapbooking, jewelry making, and um, working with kids I, is kind of my spiritual way that I live my life. Thank you so much for sharing that and sharing your story with us. I really appreciate right. it. Yeah, thank you. thanks to Crystal for joining us and sharing what is possible in the area of healing from violence. It is my hope that hearing her story has inspired you to take steps in your life to help us all realize a less violent city and state. Until next time, I'm Joel Kiekenfeld. Be good out there. Thank you so much for listening. We're grateful for you, our listeners. If you are grateful for what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And recommend us to your friends. 
Those are small things, but they make a huge difference. The Anchored City Podcast is a production of the Anchorage Urban Training Collaborative. The mission of the collaborative is to train the heads, hearts, and hands of urban leaders to love their city and seek its peace. When we say peace, we mean a desire to see a world where all things are the way they're supposed to be for all people. Find us online at anchorageutc.org or on social media at Anchorage UTC. Resources used to make this episode can be found in the show details. Our theme music is by Anchorage's own Monica Lettner.